I'm going to do what I always do. <laughs> Every time. Because I don't like to be behind those things. Right, so put our Bible there a minute and sort ourselves out. Da, da, da. Okay, so um, in 1995, put your hands up if you have been born. Okay, put your hands up if you are under five. Under five. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I was. <laughs> okay, so in 1995, there was a 20 year old student. Um, And she was lying on her bed and um, alone at night, and she was very distressed and distraught. Some um, things had happened in her life. And as she lay there uh, emotionally, she called out to God, not entirely knowing particularly any ins and outs of him, but she'd heard a little bit at Sunday school. And she knew in her soul, in her heart of hearts, that the answer lay in him. And so she says these words, Jesus, in the past, you've had a small part of me. And now you can have it all. That was it, okay? And at that moment, she experienced a tangible presence of God, like love, emotional love, waves of it flowing through her body. Now imagine this is not in some meeting, there's no hype, she's in a bedroom. And at that moment, that moment, she feels pleasure and she feels presence. And that was the moment that I became a Christian. So that gives you an idea now of how old I am. <laughs> and I want to tell you another story about a woman who sat in that car park opposite in Waitrose, in her car, thinking about her daughter and wondering if God was real. And this has never happened to me. But an audible voice spoke to her in that car park. She encountered God. I want to tell you about a guy um, who was in his bedroom listening to a worship song, just out of interest, and found himself unexpectedly crying on his knees, giving his life to Jesus. Um, Trying to think of others. Um... Oh, yes, a girl in this church now, you can figure out who it is, in a church in Dorset, not seeking God, finds herself emotionally overcome and has to leave the building because the presence of God is so strong. She wasn't even looking for God or Jesus. And what I want to show you by this is that God is active and real in everyone's life, whether we're looking for him or not. Those moments are the times when we see the reality of the presence of God in our lives. He is all the time calling us to come and follow him, to be with him. 
In the Bible, we see a woman about to be stoned who inwardly must be crying out, God, have mercy. And we see Jesus come and stoop down next to her, distract the men and say to her at the end, there is no one to condemn you and neither do I. Go, put this behind you, be free, go and live your life. We see an anxious, desperate father coming and falling at Jesus' knees and saying, please, please heal my son. He says, if you are willing. Jesus says to him, if I'm willing, if I'm willing, what kind of question is that? Of course I'm willing. We see a man secretly coming in the night. He doesn't want anyone to know. He's embarrassed but he wants to find out who Jesus is without anyone knowing. And we see a man so bound up by his affliction, so crippled that he can't get to Jesus and no one in that area would even bother taking him. And do you know what happens? Jesus goes to him, sets him free, completely restores him. Go live your life. I'm wondering about you. How has it been for you? What have been those moments? Or was there that moment where it was undoubtable? Perhaps there's been whispers in your life. You think, well, that was odd. It might just have been that you were compelled to do something that you wouldn't have done normally. And you saw, oh, if I hadn't have done that, that wouldn't have happened. It might have been that your heart was just sort of something was happening. You found yourself crying maybe. You went to a carol service. I don't know. Just something happened. You might have just been reading out of interest and can have a look at this Bible and you find something's happening. There is always the unexplainable going on. Jesus um, might not be physically present, but there's plenty of people in this room that can tell you, but I know him. I've encountered him. I felt his presence. This morning, we're looking at Mark's gospel. And if I'm right, here it is. In the foyer, you will find that there are small Mark's gospels. Now, you might have a Bible at home. You might have something from Sunday school, a good news or something. If you want to take one of these, you're really welcome. The good thing about something like this is, um, you know, you can open it and you can, like, draw in it and you can underline bits you don't understand. You put question marks. And when you sit down to read it, you just say something like, all right, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, speak to me. Give it a go today. Okay, well, let's talk about Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel is uh, written, it's one of the shortest ones. It's probably one of the best known. You can read it in a couple of hours, be done, finished, really easy to read. It's short, it's considered one of the first written. So if you imagine um, like historical document rise, um, an historical historian would get the most excited about Mark's Gospel because it's written first. You know, people argue anything between 20 and 60 years after Jesus' death. 
Even 60. Imagine there's still people around who can testify and say, that's not what happened. Historically, this is the closest we can get to Jesus. So it's worth looking into. It has a great sense of urgency. When you read Mark's gospel, it's like immediately, just then, next. There's a sense in Mark as he's writing, come on, guys, there's a sense of urgency about this. In his heart, he's like, come on, let's get on, the, let's get on board, let's get going. There's that great sense of let's do it now. And last week, when we started Mark's gospel, we saw right at the beginning that Mark doesn't, he doesn't do the birth narratives and things like that. He doesn't tell you about Jesus' birth and things like that. He's straight in there. John the Baptist is there saying, hey guys, look. Look at this guy. He's worth listening to. And that's what Mark is about. And as we journey through Mark's gospel, you get this great sense that they don't know who Jesus is. It's like a puzzle. Mark's written his gospel like a puzzle. They're all like going, what? What on earth? And right at the end, his sort of the gospel ends really abruptly. It's like, and the women went to the tomb. And the men said, he is risen. And they went, you what? And they went home confused. Finished. Can you see how he's saying it's all confusing? And he wants to invite us on this journey to see it. You know, the disciples were bewildered. They didn't fully understand at the time. And sometimes in our journey, we don't fully understand at the time. But when they looked back afterwards, they started to look. And they were like, ah, that's what he meant. Ah, we understand now. And this week, we leap on from Mark's uh, records John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And he makes this really strong statement. God rips open heaven and says, this is my son. And I'm pleased with him. He starts like that. Mark's got his cards on the table. He says, I believe that this guy was the Messiah. I believe he's the son of God, and I'm going to tell you why. And he jumps on, because Mark doesn't do all the details. He just says little bits. And he jumps onto the bit we're going to look at today, which is where Jesus goes around saying, I'm going to tell you something. So let's read it together. So you'll find it, Mark's Gospel, and it's chapter 1. I'll look it up in here, because I've got my own Bible, but I'll look it up in yours. This is the one you've got in front of you, so you can have a look as well. And if I get boring, that's what I do. I just read it on my own. So, you know, feel free. (laughs) So, Mark chapter 1. You find it on page 1003. So it's almost at the back. There's only a tiny bit left in it. Okay, and all we've got is such a tiny amount today, so let's have a look together. And we start chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, Jesus announces the good news. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in in the boat with the hired men 
and followed him. Okay, that's all we've got today, so it's quite simple. Okay, so we see in this bit, he announces after John is put in prison. So remember, John is going around proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. John's put in prison, Jesus takes over, the kingdom of God is near. Tricky thing for us is we don't always understand what the kingdom of God is. It's a bit like, um, if you take the word nice, what does it mean? Audience participation now. (laughs) What does nice mean? Lovely. Hmm. Or pleasant or beautiful. But it used to mean silly or foolish. You see, we don't always know what stuff means. So let's have a little think about the kingdom of God. He says it's good news. What on earth are they talking about? Well, we live in a world, don't we, whether we're believers in God or not, that just doesn't seem to work right. I don't know about you, but every time I look at the news, I just find myself despairing. Can it possibly get any worse? Just this week on my WhatsApp, I got one with my neighbours, my poor neighbour, another neighbour WhatsApps us as a group to say someone tried to get in my house the other day in the back door. Um, I was driving along the road the other day and some lunatic jumps out in front of my car, just for fun. And sometimes you wonder, don't you, particularly when you've got children and they're like, what's that about, mummy? And you're like, "Mm, how do I even begin to tell you that the world doesn't kind of work how it should. It's just not quite right, is it? When you're a kid, you think, this is nice. But suddenly, like, the blinkers come off. And I think in our world, especially as our world gets smaller and smaller, we can see more and more. And some of that's cultural, you know, we just don't understand. But some things are clearly wrong. You know, the gap between rich and poor it gets bigger. How can we justify, you know, and this is where guilt kicks in, isn't it? How can we justify living how we do when some people earn nothing, are slaves, kidnapped? How can we justify when people earn less than a dollar a day? You know, and some people over the centuries, they've tried to think, oh, you know, we've had philosophies that said, oh, the world will get better. You know, human beings will aspire to be better than they are, and they will get better. And we have others that say, oh, you know, it's just survival of the fittest. You're basically just, if we're animals, it's just about procreation. It's just about the survival of our genes. Just accept it. Some people die, some people live. It's no big deal. Is it? Because there's something deeper in us as human beings. There's love and there's compassion and there's mercy and there's hope and there's guilt and there's sorrow and there's pain that says, well, it's got to be more than just that. And the people that were reading and were around when Jesus came into the world, um, the Jewish people that surrounded, they obviously, they were the people of, of, of 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 a religious set of beliefs that started with that image in their head that God had created the world perfect, that he'd made man and woman in his image, and that he'd set them to be in the world 
in a way that he would be in the world, reflecting him. So as he is good, they would reflect good. As he was kind, they would reflect kind. As he is merciful, they would be merciful. But right at the beginning, we see this go-off path. And instead of reflecting God, they cease to do so. And they choose to do their own thing. Instead of reflecting God, they say, no, we want to be our own God. We'll make the decisions from now on. And from that spirals a world that is full of hatred and pain and suffering and violence. And when we come to here in Palestine in the first century, this people group are once again suffering under an oppressive regime. So they're occupied by the Romans and they want to be free. And this has happened in their history again and again and again. They've been occupied, they've been kidnapped, they've been oppressed, and each time they've looked to God to rescue them. And each time God has come, I will rescue you, I will bring you out of this. And there are particular prophecies written that God would one day come And he would establish his kingdom, his way of doing things. He would send his king and that he would put everything right. So we'll just look at one of those, if you don't mind. We're going to look at Isaiah. Now, right in the middle of your Bible, if you sort of open it in the middle but to the right, you'll find Isaiah. If you open it and you've got the Psalms, you just need to go a little bit further and you find Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a prophet. That's someone who communicates what God is saying. And as these guys are um, in this sort of similar situation they are to now, he speaks words to them. And I want you to find Isaiah 35 and verse 4. So they would have known these passages really well, upside down, back to front. They knew what this said. They were putting their hope in this. And what does it say? So Isaiah 35, and we'll start. Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, and he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. I'm going to stop there. That's what I'm going to read. You can read Isaiah. There's tons of stuff in there. But look at just these verses. Your God will come. And it says again and again, your God will come. And what will he do? He will rescue them. He'll save them. He will come and fight their battles. And what does it say here? The eyes of the blind will be opened. What did Jesus do? He opened the eyes of the blind. It's a sign to them. The ears of the deaf. He makes people hear. It's a sign. The lame leap. It's a sign. The man went walking and leaping and so forth. The mute tongue will shout for joy. He enabled people to speak. He came in. He said, look, this is who I am. And I'm going to show you why. Because I'm going to do all these things that you've been waiting for someone to do. 
Throughout Isaiah, we see the king is coming. The king is coming. And what will it be like? Peace will be established. Justice will be established. And so these guys are waiting for this prophet to come. And then John the Baptist comes. He is coming. The kingdom of God is near. Get ready. And they're like, he's coming. And then Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's so close you can even touch it. Why? Later on we find because Jesus is the king. He is the fulfillment. And in the next part, he calls Andrew and Peter and James and John. In the Bible, what we just read, it seems really sudden, doesn't it? Remember what we know about Mark's gospel? He doesn't do it all. He just gives us like little bits along. He wants us to get to the point. He just says, come, follow me, and I will send you out for fish for people. So it looks like Jesus, for the first time, has walked along and gone... Ah, yes, you guys over there, come follow me. And the, his power is so awesome, and he's, they're so struck by it. They're like, I am drawn to you. But no, remember, Mark doesn't do it all, so we've got to go elsewhere. Let's see, John's Gospel, chapter 1. If you want to, you can flick on a little bit. Chapter 1, verse 40 What does John tell us? Because remember, all the gospel writers tell us something different. They tell us a little bit more. It's like a puzzle we put together. 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said. Andrew was around John, and he heard what John was saying. Look at Luke's account. Go back a little bit. Luke 5. I'll just give you back a tiny bit. Luke 5 and verse... We may be waiting to do it all. But we get another account of Jesus calling the disciples here. There's a couple of things that we find out. Might as well turn to this one. Maybe we could have it on the screen, even. One day, as Jesus was standing by Lake Garrett, um, I can't even say that. Ganessa, thank you. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and not caught anything. But because you say so, we will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astounded at the catch of fish they'd taken. And his companions. And so were James and John. 
the sons of Zebedee. Simon's, Simon's what? Simon's partners. These guys are all together. If you imagine they're young Palestinian men, put that in your mind now, young Palestinian men. They are under oppression. These four work together. They're in the same business. Andrew is eagerly following what John says. You know, they are passionate for a revolution. These guys are ripe for it. And Andrew is following what John says. And one day, Andrew's walking with John together. And John says, look, see that guy over there? Pointing at Jesus. That's the, lamb of the, that's the lamb of the world. That's the guy. That's the guy I told you about that the Spirit of God came down on. That's the guy that I mentioned to you. You can read this in John's Gospel a bit more. This is the guy we've been waiting for. And Andrew goes, right, thanks, John. Off he goes. Spends a whole day with Jesus. And what does he do at the end of the day with Jesus? He goes and finds Peter. And he says, Peter, I have found him. I've found the king. So these four, you know, it looks a bit like, oh, they're just Jesus' power. No, no, this is a year on. Jesus has been healing people. Jesus has been speaking to crowds. He even gets into one of their boats. Why? They don't get in a random person boat. He knows these guys. He gets in the boat, and they are all waiting for this revolution to begin. Jesus is already well underway. And when Jesus says, hey, come follow me, because remember, John is now in prison. Andrew, maybe he's been following John. Maybe he is John's disciple. Well, John's gone. And John said, don't stay with me. Go to Jesus. They leap out their boat because they've seen good stuff. They are ready. They want to be a part of what Jesus is going to do. But look at what Peter says. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He's saying, if you, if you knew who I was, Jesus, if you really knew, you probably wouldn't want me. If you knew what I'd done, you probably wouldn't want me today. And do you remember how Jesus was with that woman when he said, I don't condemn you? You know, sometimes we can get this picture of God saying, you have been so what, is, what does Jesus say to Peter? He just says, Peter? You are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Can you imagine that? Because that's how God is with us. When we come, here I am, I'm a mess. He says, Lou... I'm going to do some amazing things. And whatever your name is, you can put it in there. We stand there. We know he sees it all. We, we're not silly. We know our own failings. But God doesn't see our failings. He sees what we will become. He comes to restore us, to bring life, to breathe new life into us, to see us become the people he wants us to be. Slow, you know... He knows all my failings, and, I, and I'm sorry. Slee, come follow me. We're going to do some fantastic things. And that's what he says to each one of us. So Peter, he's called the rock. 
Jesus is calling him to be who he wants him to be. And that day when they jumped into, jumped out their boats and left, they didn't know what was going to happen. They thought they were joining a revolution, and they were. But it wasn't quite what they thought it was. I wonder about you. When did you jump out the boat, or in the boat, or off the boat, whatever thing you want to say, and join Jesus? We don't always know what's coming at that point. I certainly didn't. I started reading the Bible for the first time, and I just was sitting there going, this is true. Oh, my life, this is true. And I certainly picked it up before and got nothing. We don't know what we're getting into. We don't know what our life will be like, ups and downs, and it certainly doesn't save us from any problems. There are plenty of them. It doesn't solve doesn't save us from heartache, doesn't save us from illness, family pain. But it has been an adventure for me, and it's been one which he's been with me the whole time. Never left me even for a second, continues to walk with me, continues to say, I've got hope, I've got a future. I will bring good out of this. I'll bring good out of you. No matter how much of a mess you've made, Louise, I can make it good can make you good I can change you and I'm not there man if you know me I am annoying sometimes but he has a hope and a future and he'll change us and maybe that's for you today maybe you've you've got friends that know Jesus think they're doing all right maybe you've heard lots about Jesus Maybe you've had those moments, but you didn't do anything about it. And maybe he's asking you today, come follow me. And maybe life has been really hard. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. I signed up for joy. I signed up to live a victorious life, to overcome every single thing and never be a problem in my life. I don't think the disciples signed up for that either, actually. But look what happened to them. They were all martyred. But maybe today, you know, like Peter, who he comes back to you later and he says, Peter, come. I know we've messed, I know it's been hard. I know it wasn't all you thought it would be. But do you love me? Come follow me. And maybe he's saying that today. Maybe we need a reminder. Come follow me. Remember the revolution isn't about violence. That was their confusion, wasn't it? They thought it was violent. But it wasn't. It was about humility and love and peace and justice. I heard a great thing that if you try to overcome violence with violence, which is often what we do, you've done really bad things and we will punish you. Then who's in charge? It's violence. But if you overcome violence with love, What's in charge? Love. And that's what Jesus calls us to, isn't it? To walk with him, to bring his kingdom of peace and love and justice, to love the poor, to work for justice in our courts, to be that person in our homes and families, to have patience, to serve people. 
Let's remember what he's called us to. So let's pray. And we'll have a few minutes of silence. And we'll just try and think, you know, maybe you were called and you forgot your calling. Forgot what it was about. Maybe you just need to imagine, like I did this week, imagine that first moment. What was that like? And have I lost it? Has he called me to something that I've forgotten? Is there something he said to me that I've let go? Have I rejected him like Peter because my life didn't go the way I thought it would? I didn't sign up for what he said. Or perhaps I've never got out that boat to follow him. Let's just pause for a minute and let God speak to us in the way he does, and it's different for everyone.